It's actually during the first of Navarre. <laughs> the first of Navarre. Bonjour and bienvenue to Battle Royale, where we pass judgment on all the kings and emperors of France, from Clovis to Napoleon III. Who will be selected as the creme de la creme, and who will be sent to the guillotine. <laughs> Forgot there for a second. <laughs> it's been a while. Je m'appelle Ben Clark. And I'm Eliza Summers. How are you holding up, Eliza? Good, good. Listeners want to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, better, better. That's good. better. You sound good. Yeah, yeah. It was just, yeah. Like, I didn't have a fever or anything. It was just like this really bad sore throat. Like, I couldn't even speak. Mm-hmm. Like, a few days. Yeah. So, better now. Yeah. Well, we ended up releasing the Vercingetorix Patreon mm. episode instead of a, a, a normal episode. And people really liked it. That's uh, good. We actually got a couple of new patrons because of it. So, Woo! that's a win. Maybe you should be sick more often. <laughs> Aren't you usually the one who's always sick? Yeah, I'm the one with the crappy immune system. But we just had we just had our, our second cold snap of the winter here. Oh. And I'm not sick. So that's Woo! a good sign. So do you know who we're doing today, Eliza? No clue. <laughs> no clue. We're doing a woman. We're doing a woman who is... Married to a king of France, mm-hmm. and was also a queen in her own right. Woo! And this is Queen Joan the First of Navarre. Oh, yes. Ooh. So we might we might need a lot of refreshers in this episode because yeah. it has been nearly two months. No, yeah, a, month yeah, about a month and a half yeah. since we last recorded a king. Because we did, we did Philip the thir- the third, and then we did Carcassonne and Margaret the Black for the Patreon. Yeah. So that's just like buried all of the knowledge underneath. Yeah. It, yeah. I don't remember anything. Yeah. So the last king we did was Philip the third, the the one who looks like a Potteroo. Um, oh yeah. Who who was also the father of pigeons. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> people really liked the father of pigeons thing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good. But yeah, now we are doing um, The Pigeon himself. Uh, mm. Well, our next episode is going to be Philip Fourth, who a lot of people have been looking forward to. And it's going to be like a massive episode because Philip Fourth is kind of a big deal in medieval history. Mm-hmm. Um, and Eliza, you're going to find out why. Uh, but first of all, we're going to do his wife, who has a less detailed life story she's very much like one of these people who's a footnote in history yeah both the history of navarre and the history of france she's kind of a footnote for reasons that we're gonna see but i think she's interesting and uh there's an interesting story about witchcraft that's wrapped up in her life not because she was a witch but It's re- it's related to her life. Sorry, I love a little bit of witchiness. So we should get into it. Oh, and uh, this is not Joan of Navarre who becomes Queen of England, who is a different Joan of Navarre. Um, <laughs> probably her descendant, I suppose. She's like the stepmother of Henry V Ooh. of England. So she's a, she's about 100 years away. Yeah. Um, 
that Joan of Navarre, but we're doing this Joan of Navarre. Joan the first Queen of Navarre. Yeah, OG. Monarch. Yeah, the OG. Okay, so Joan is actually one of the two queens regnant to be married to a French king. Can you guess the other one? Eleanor? No, No, she was a duchess, sorry. She was a duchess, yeah. Sorry. Um, You're not far off. Well, you are far off, but, you know, (laughs) you're you're thinking along the right lines. That's not She is very important where I live. The Scottish queen. Mm -hmm. Mary. Yeah. Mary, Queen of Scots, is the other queen regnant who ends up married to a French king, which we'll get to, of course. That's kind of a spoiler for the 16th century whenever we get to it. Honestly, the the episode about her husband will mostly be about her, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Joan of Arc, really not a famous figure at all, um, mm. cons- especially compared to Mary, Queen of Scots. But she is one of the earliest reigning queens in medieval Europe. Um cool. Long before, you know, Isabel of Castile. Yeah. Uh, the other ones. And uh, she has connections to a lot of the most famous people from the 13th century. So I was actually surprised that she wasn't more significant in um, mm. all the stuff I read. But uh, yeah, we're going to give her a little extra love and attention today. Mm. She's going to get at least an hour from us. So that's Yay. good. Uh, also doing an episode on her will probably mean a slightly shorter episode for her husband, Philip IV, because we won't need to catch up on as much. Um, yeah. we'll have already updated a lot of the stuff from last episode. So that's good. Ew. We're getting this out of the way. So before we do that, we've never mentioned a Joan before. So we get mm. to do an etymology. Woo! Woo! Yay! You've missed them. I've missed them. We've had li- too many Louis and Phillips. Yeah. So now we finally get to do an etymology. Finally. So any ideas on where the name Joan comes from? The Bible. It doesn't actually really come from the Bible, but it comes from, it's a variation on another name. Am I meant to know that variation? It's like the, it's like the feminine form of a very popular men's name. Yeah, the most popular men's name. Yeah, John. John was my grandfather's name. John is my great uncle, was my great uncle's name. (laughs) Turns out a lot of men are called John. Um, But yes. Not much these uh, days, though. Yes. So John um, ended up being born by a number of female saints who took on the feminine form of the name, Joanna, Mm. Joan, or Uh. Jane as well. And uh, the name John originally comes from the Hebrew name Yohanan, meaning God is gracious. Because it sounds the same. (laughs) Yeah. And the the Hanan in Yohanan is actually the same Hannah that is in the name Anne, um, which means grace. I thought you were going to say like Hannah or something. But... Also Hannah. Yes. Hannah and Anne are the same name technically. Which is funny because in Japanese, Hannah is like a flat meets flower. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm. It's like the name like Mary and Miriam are the same name. Just one is more Hebrew than the other one. <laughs> mm. One has been less bastardized by the Western languages. <laughs> And not as many people are named Miriam. Yeah. So it's good that we ha- we have an etymology for Joan yes. now, because after this episode, we're going to have, we're going to review at least three other Joans on the podcast, Ooh. including Joan of Arc. She's going to get an episode. Of course. Sneakily. We love her. She's way at the end of the Middle Ages, but she's going to get an episode. Um, Eventually. Also, also, we're going to have some Johns. We're going to have some Johns in the future as well. Ooh. Um, 
and we'll see if God is gracious to them. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into Joan of Navarre's life. Yes. So she was born on the 14th of January, 1273, which is almost exactly 750 years and one week ago. Woo! So remember, like, I tried to get us to record yep. on her birthday. <laughs> yeah, and then I was like, nah! Well, we postponed for, because it was, like, for, like, logistic reasons. And then I was, three like, days dying. later, you were dying. Actually, I was dying at the time of Joe, of the 14th as well. <laughs> but yeah, belated bon anniversaire to Joan. 750 is, is, a, is a long time. <laughs> so let's get into her parents. So her father, Henry, belonged mm-hmm. to the House of Blois, who oh, we... Yeah. No, very, very well. Yes. Most of them are called Tib- Tybalt. Yeah. Um, so he was the last in the House of Blois male line, actually. Oh. And he was thus the sole heir when his brother, guess what his brother's name was? Tybalt. Yep. His brother Tybalt died. 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 <laughs> died childless, uh, leaving him with all of his lands and Woo. titles. Nice. Tybalt was one of the guys who died when Philip III was on his way home from crusade. Remember about uh, like yeah. eight family members died. Tybalt yeah. was one of those. Uh, yeah. So we're in that, we're in that moment uh, right now. Oh uh, yeah. So Tybalt ruled not only the County of Champagne, the House of Blois ancestral land, mm-hmm. um, but also the more recently acquired Kingdom of Navarre. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. I remember. Uh, so Henry reigned in Champagne in northern France as Count Henry III, and down in Navarre and uh, what is now Spain as King Henrique the First. Henrique, yeah. love that name. Yes, and we aren't going to get much into Navarrese history uh, for reasons that we're gonna see. Uh, let's just say we let's just say we won't spend much time there. Uh, no. But yeah, this would I mean we should have got Spanish Alpada. Our Potter on for a crossover because uh, yeah. they're eventually going to have to re- review Joan because they're doing all the Spanish monarchs, which is a much bigger task than all the French monarchs because of all of the different kingdoms. Um, true, true. But uh, we'll we'll let them cover the history of Navarre when they get to it. Yeah, um, that side we're doing the French side. We're doing the French side. Yeah. So Navarre, as we call it in French and English, or Navarra, as it's known in Basque and Spanish. Uh, it's not Navarre. I've heard people say Navarre. It's <laughs> not Navarre. Uh, I get so annoyed when people pronounce it like that. It's like, no, it's Navarre or Navarra. I've never heard oh. Navarre. Oh, you'd be surprised. Uh, <laughs> Who says um, that? I don't know. Well, sometimes I watch like like history videos on like YouTube to like prepare uh, for, for the uh... episode. Just to like see if I've like missed anything, like if other people, uh, yeah, content yeah. creators have done stuff. And, um, and then you hear Ray, and you're like, blah! The French pronunciations are all over the place. It's egregious. So I hopefully, with my correctly researched French pronunciations, I am righting some wrongs. Yes. How could it be if it turned out that it was Navarre? We'd be like, ah! I'd die. Um, but Navarre would be a good title for an Amy Winehouse song. Mm, Why don't you come on over, Navarre? Oh, no! <laughs> You don't have a voice, don't even try, Benjamin. Um, so Navarre, to put its size in perspective, mm-hmm. the, the modern autonomous state of Navarre in modern Spain is the same area as Sydney. 
Damn, Mitanni. The city where we're from. Sydney is a very, very huge city. Sydney is pretty big, like, though. Yeah. Sydney is a pretty huge city, like urban sprawl wise. But yeah, we actually are the one of the most sprawled out cities in the world. Yeah, but um, uh, Novara was a little bit uh, uh, bigger um, back oh. in Jones' time. It was about the size of the state of New Jersey. Is uh, it more to like put that in Tokyo? For Americans. Well, was Tokyo bigger? Probably bigger. I, I I don't have a concept of how big Tokyo is, but Tokyo's like they, made up of multiple cities. That's basically how big it is. No, Navarra. Now the Spanish state is um, twelve thousand kilometers, um, which is the same as Sydney. But back then, it would have been more like in the twenties, thousands. Okay, okay, um, okay. It's a bit bigger. Are we included? <clears throat> so, like, going to Blue Mountains? Sure. Um, and speaking of mountains, it is a rugged, mountainous place. <laughs> uh, it's on the western edge of the Pyrenees, where they meet the uh. Atlantic Ocean, um, which makes it an extremely strategically important choke point if you're trying to march an army, say, from France to Spain or vice versa. The other main route being via the Kingdom of Aragon, and we saw uh, how that went uh, yeah. for Philip III, who got ambushed in one of the eastern passes and got the French army oh, destroyed. I knew I knew what a Pyrenees was. It was a dog. You you brought... <laughs> Eliza, you brought that up in our first Gedrix episode, <laughs> which on the feed is our last episode. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's just... So I swear funny. my grandma had one. It was either that or it was one that looks like it, but it's Italian. Yeah, Casper. Yeah. I know this because I just listened to the episode because I put oh. it up. <laughs> Was he a Pyrenees? Anyway, so, oh, it bug me. Anyway. I'm have to ask my grandma. So, Pyrenees are mountains, not a dog. Uh, just so we're clear. Uh, but in my so, mind. I'm going to gra- message my grandma now to ask her what breed was Casper. <laughs> so speaking of... Um, Life. People, people who <laughs> are your progenitors. Uh, Joan's mother... Yes. Blanche of Artois uh, okay. was a niece of Louis the Ninth. Mm-hmm. So, father House of Blois, uh, mother House of Capet, um, oh. via Artois, a branch of it. So, Blanche's mother Matilda of Brabant gave birth to Blanche mere months before she and Blanche's father Count Robert the First of Artois left. On the seventh oh. crusade, so you're going to say die. So now we're back to Louis the Ninth's first crusade, the one he didn't die on, the one oh, that right. Robert of Artois died on. Oh, yeah, because so, he was stupid. Yes, he was stupid. He ran straight into a mumluk ambush at uh, Mansoura in Egypt. He was asking and- to die. Really, he may as well just worn like a bloody neon flashing light, saying, "Kill me." Yeah. And Matilda, who is Joan of Navarre's grandmother, uh, was left pregnant back in Damietta, um, alongside course. the Queen of France, who was also pregnant, pregnant back in Damietta. Oh, at least they could be together, pregnant sisters. There's two sisters-in-law pregnant together. Um, and uh, Matilda Complaining gave birth Complaining over to... husbands. <laughs> yeah. Matilda gave birth to a posthumous son, Robert II. Um, so he became Count of Artois. But back in France, Blanche of Artois is fine. She goes on to marry... Um, Henry of Navarre and give birth mm-hmm. to Joan of Navarre. Ooh. So despite being a Blois on her father's side, through her mother, Joan is just as much a Capetian as any of our kings. Ooh. If you're thinking, if, if you're doing the maths in your head, um, uh, jo- Joan's parents were third cousins um, and Joan is going to marry her first cousin once removed. So as I said mm-hmm. before, 
we're leaning more into the incest as as the 13th century goes on because Capetians are starting to marry brides very strategically um, in a way of like getting land through a wife. And in order to keep that land down the generations, you have to start marrying cousins together. Mm. Um, So that's why that happens. So the marriage between Henry of Navarre and Blanche of Artois is a successful one. They have a lot in common, like the same great, great grandparents. Um, (laughs) I've used that joke before. Um, And uh, it helped uh, the formation of a strong bond between Henry and the royal family. Uh, hmm. as he became King of Navarre, uh, particularly the pro-crusade and conquest faction that was cultivated by Charles of Anjou, Blanche's uncle. If you remember hmm. back to Philip III, uh, there was a faction of, like, sensible bureaucrats who were like, let's not, not? let's not be hasty. <laughs> um, and then there was Charles of Anjou's faction with all the princes being like, no, we must go on crusade and have glory oh, yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Oh. Kill loads of people who didn't ask for it. So Henry oversaw an economic golden age for Navarre, uh, thanks partly to his good relations with the neighbouring kingdom of France, of course, uh, mm. but also to an alliance with Castile. So he's kind of playing both sides a bit. He's like, mm. let's let's be friends on all the borders. Mm. Uh, none of you good can idea. conquer Navarre because it's too hilly. Uh, <laughs> so we're just going to be nice, make peace. Mm-hmm. Um, so initially... King Henry and Queen Blanche had a son to continue the House of Blois mm-hmm. and to grow up and marry one of the King of Castile's daughters. That was the plan. However, this son, guess what the son was called? Henry? No. Lily? The other, name. Philip. The other Blois name. Tybalt. Tybalt, yeah. So the son, Tybalt, was unfortunately dropped by his nurse as a baby. Oh. Guess where he was dropped? What, in the mountains? He was dropped over the battlements of a castle. Oh, no! <laughs> so, yeah, um, I couldn't oh, find any further... Oh, baby! What the heck? <laughs> I couldn't find any further details about this story. Like, exa- for example, what happened to the nurse? Was it an accident? Yeah, I have no idea. it seem like an accident over the battlements. <laughs> Just drop over the battlements. That's no way that's an accident. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm super confused by the story. But if you know, if you know any further details about what happened to poor little Tibble, let, let us know. know. <laughs> that sounds like murder. It sounds like murder. Yeah. Um. So it could also it could always be an apocryphal story that never happened. But at the time, Blanche was pregnant with Joan. At the oh. time this happened. Can't have been oh. good. And when, when Joan was born, she was the only child. So Henry saw to it that Joan was declared heir to both the kingdom of Navarre and all of the Blois lands. Oh, back wow, up that's in really France. nice. It's yeah. So Spanish kingdoms are actually a lot more chill about female heirs than nice. French. Uh, so well, the kingdom had. A lot of yeah. The reason, the whole reason the House of Blois had gotten the kingdom is because it had passed through a woman. So they're like, this has mm-hmm. happened before. We can do this again. Yeah, we can accept it. Yep. And it's not like there were any other... There weren't really any other male cousins in the House of Blois, surprisingly, to challenge. They'd all gone... Mostly gone off on crusade and died, to be honest. Um, (laughs) So so the kingdom uh, readily accepted the idea of a female heir. Yay! And uh, Joan becomes... Will become the first queen regnant of quite a few uh, in Navarre's Mm. history. So the French counties were 
a bit harder to sell on a female heir, um, mm. since the Blois lands had been ruled by an unbroken male line for 10 generations uh, since the early 10th century. Yeah. When their ancestor Tybalt the Elder uh, purchased the county of Chartres from the Viking chief Heistein, which is a true story. Mm. Uh, mm. That would have been back in whose episode? That would have been back during like Robert the Strong sort of time, uh, sort of Charles yeah. the Bald's yeah. time. However, as I said, uh, Henry was the last of his male line. So Philip III of France approved Joan as the heiress mm. to the Blois lands, since they are technically still in his kingdom, not in the kingdom of Navarre. So now Joan is heir. She's heir to a small but prosperous Spanish kingdom and to Champagne, one of France's five great principalities. Nice. So good for her. And she's super young. (laughs) She's a baby. So uh, this, from the moment of her birth, singled her out as the most valuable bride in Europe. Yeah, everyone wanted her. And her value shot up even more on the 22nd of July, 1274, when her father died, apparently of obesity, um, at the age of 30. Oh. God, how yeah. fat was he? The chroniclers say he, quote, suffocated on his own fat. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> I'm just imagining that, and it's, ugh. I'm just imagining... Like the girl from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, like <laughs> like getting bigger and bluer. Oh, uh, yeah. Until she dies. Didn't the children all die in the original story? No. I think they. I think they just. Dis- I think they were never heard from again. Yeah. But I'm not sure because, like, because I know the original was darker. Anyway, enough about Willy Wonka. A lot of his uh, were darker. Oh yeah. And they um, need to make them more <clears throat> child friendly when he get his like relatives to read it. Yeah. So. Last episode, I mistakenly said Joan was three years old. I don't know where that came from. She was, in fact, 18 months old when she became Queen uh, of Navarre. Um, Not as young as Mary Queen of Scots will be when she becomes Queen of Scotland. I believe she was only six days old. Um, Oh, yeah. But nonetheless, very young. So Blanche of Artois was now the regent of Navarre, so the mother, and it was not a comfortable position for this poor woman who had been suddenly widowed in her mid-twenties. Navarre had had female regents before, uh, but never never a female monarch yet. So now we have a female monarch and a female regent, and the men are not happy. Um, Mm. So Blanche was at Henry's deathbed in Pomplona, the capital Mm -hmm. of Navarre, uh, because she immediately assumes a regency in uh, Navarre. It's unclear where Joan is at this point. Um, Likely she was with her mother in Navarre since Mm. she is still a baby. Um, But it's equally likely she was, she was North in in Champagne. Um, Mm. We just don't know really. Uh, But then. She was alive. uh, Yeah. But let's imagine Blanche clutching her baby uh, as the walls start to close in because news soon arrives of a Castilian army besieging Viana uh, one of uh, the main of strongholds of the kingdom, while King Pedro III of Aragon, other neighbouring mm. kingdom, demanded that Blanche either give him the child's hand in marriage or he take it by force. Uh-huh. So the people of Navarre, in a boss move, rallied around their infant queen and her mother. Uh, that is, that is, until mm. Blanche of Navarre decided to run away. Oh. Yeah. Seriously? So the people, they were doing great fending off the Castilian attacks and throwing 
middle fingers to the Aragonese. And then the bloody French queen fled with all of her escargots. Seriously? And the baby. <laughs> um, so Blanche uh, fled Navarre about nine months after her husband's death, taking Joan into the protection of her first cousin, King Philip III of France. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in May 1275, a month after she got to France, Blanche was compelled to sign the Treaty of Orléans, which promised Joan's hand in marriage to one of King Philip's elder two sons. So either okay. either the Louis or the Philip. Um, <laughs> and uh, since Louis died the following year, there was one option. It was the Philip. Uh, yeah. So Joan grew up knowing that she'd marry yeah. Philip in the, in the royal court of France. Okay. Um, and what's happened to Navarre? Navarre is what, is under... just at a distance a bit. Uh, we'll get to what happens to Navarre. So uh, the Treaty of Orléans uh, flared up tensions between France and England because guess who also thought that they were going to marry Joan to the, one of their sons? <laughs> uh, so Edward I of England had been in negotiations with Henry of Navarre to marry off one of his sons to Queen Joan. But then the whole suffocated by his own fat thing happened. So... Get in line, Edward. Uh, <laughs> so King Philip III of France's uh, mother, Margaret of Provence, uh, wanted to give England a hand, though. What? Edward I being Margaret of Provence's nephew. So, Still. Yeah. If you remember, the, the two Provence sisters are both married to a king of England and a king of France. So yeah. they're kind of like the link between them. Um, so they're trying to do some peacemaking. But England couldn't have Joan. France had her now. It was too late. Mm-hmm. But maybe they could have the next best thing because uh, Margaret invited over Edward I's brother, Edmund Crouchback, uh, <laughs> the Earl of Lancaster, who was apparently a very handsome man. I'm not sure why he's called Crouchback. And just imagine a golem-like figure crouching down. Yeah. But he, he just so happened to be a very eligible bachelor, a widower, who was the same mm-hmm. age as Blanche of Artois. Who has just assumed assumed rule over Uh. Champagne. So mum and Crouchback hit it off immediately. And the resulting marriage is said to have been a rare love match in medieval history. And they they end up having three sons, some brothers to join Joan. But of course not to challenge her because of course her claim comes from her father who's dead. Yes. And Blanche and Edmund spent much of their time in Champagne rather than England, uh, where he acted as both a father to Joan and helped administer her lands. So that's oh. good, because she can't do it. She's a baby. Um, <laughs> so we don't know for sure where Joan was raised, but it's unlikely that she went back to Navarre um, at yeah. all uh, during her minority, because there was a lot of political unrest there. Yeah. Um, so she probably spent most of her time between her mother's home in Champagne and the Royal Court of Paris, mm. as we've said, um, where she was under the guardianship of King Philip. Mm-hmm. So she would have grown up alongside King Philip's two daughters uh, and become pretty well acquainted with her betrothed Philip mm. Jr. Uh, or Philip the Fair. And uh, he was renowned for uh, being very handsome and polite yet extremely emotionally distant. Um, But which honestly just sounds like a teenage girl's dream. It's like, oh, he's so distant and mysterious, but so Ah. handsome and tall. Ah. (laughs) So I imagine Joan was at least on some level pretty stoked 
mm. when she and Philip the fourth tied the knot. Although it, it did happen when she was 11 and a half. Um, oh. Philip was 15. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they were married at the cathedral of Notre Dame, uh, which was almost complete by this time. Uh, it's, it's not quite done. There's still a bit of scaffolding here and there, but it's done enough for them to start doing marriages in. Um, so that's cool. And because of her early marriage, Joan is also, uh, no longer considered a minor because when a woman gets married, she's, she's an adult because otherwise... Yeah, because that would be weird otherwise. Um, so uh, she now consumes full power, uh, in inverted commas, uh, over all of her lands and titles. Um, mm. Though, of course, in practical terms, mum is still ruling Champagne. Yeah. And whereas uh, Navarre, as you asked before, uh, Philip III sends down a French governor, sort of a minor French noble, to become mm. a governor in those lands. And he's basically just, like, struggling. <laughs> uh-huh. But as we said, we're not going to spend too much time in Navarre. That's kind of a struggle for another time. But yeah, Joan gets to dress up in her full regalia (laughs) and attend a homage ceremony to swear Champagne's loyalty to King Philip III, uh, just in time for Philip to leave on his ill-fated crusade Mm. into Aragon. Crusade, Mm. in inverted commas. (laughs) Um, So just over a year into Joan's marriage, in October 1285, word comes from the southern border that King Philip III has died of dysentery mm. after failing to invade Aragon. Oh, so Philip IV, who's safely back in Paris, is now King of France uh, at the age of 16, mm. and Joan is now the Queen of Two Kingdoms at the age of 12. Damn. Damn. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's all that can be used to describe that yeah <laughs> just a grim a grim smile uh, so Philip and Joan uh, waited at the most two years before consummating their marriage which is still Yum. slightly ick but at least they're like te- both teenagers and 18 so like she's 14 he's eight. it's still weird mm. I still don't like it but yeah, their first daughter, Margaret, uh, was born in 1288 when Joan was 15 and Philip was 19. And uh, now now Joan enters that period of every queen's life when she becomes a baby factory. Uh, she produced children on a near constant basis oh, um, and she has no time to enjoy life as an adult queen regnant. She is the opposite of Elizabeth I. Well, it's like baby every year. Pretty much. So she has no time to go all the way south to Navarre. Uh, in fact, there's no record of her ever visiting the kingdom again wow. in her life after her infancy. Um, wow. She did, however, spend a lot of time actively governing the nearer territory of Champagne. Um, and uh, we'll get to how she governed and defended her personal lands in a little hmm. bit. But yeah, so Joan's marriage was a very loving one by all accounts, Aww. which also is part of the reason she didn't want to leave because she and Philip were apparently inseparable. Oh, um, childhood sweethearts. Yes. Although your uh is going to turn into an uh, uh because uh, their compatibility was mostly due to the fact that Joan allowed Philip to dominate her and dictate her life choices. Um, mm. 
Philip was a very controlling, sort of manipulative kind of guy, as mm. we're going to see in his episode. Whereas Joan was a bit of a could could be a bit of a shrinking violet at times. Mm. Um, although we'll definitely see when it comes to champagne. Champagne is hers. He can't touch champagne. Ah, uh, she puts um, her foot down. Yeah. Like, no. She's like, I'll let you get away for all this other stuff, but don't you dare touch what's mine. Yeah. However, none of this is good for Navarre. And the Navri's people mm, uh, consider him not to happy. blame for keep yeah, for keeping Joan away from them. Um and uh they resent the northern governors that he sends to Navarre in her name, mm. obviously. Yeah. So the French uh chroniclers frame Joan's inability to go south uh as, you know. Love, I love my husband, la la la. Um, whereas mm-hmm. the the southern Spanish chroniclers are like, she's locked in a tower. We must save her. She's that Rapunzel. Yeah. The truth, as ever, probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. So Joan was able to directly rule and make decisions in Champagne, as we've said, which is literally just east of Paris. So mm. in case Pretty I didn't easier. impress that, it's a very close place. Um, it's neighbors, but- basically. Yes. But even then, um, Philip does have the final say in major decisions. Um, mm. uh, and he, he sent Frenchmen to become officials in Champagne, which mm. helps to in- start to integrate Champagne into the royal domain, mm-hmm. uh, which will, of course, be inherited by both their children. So mm. it makes sense to start doing that now, yeah. laying the groundwork. And all this kind of makes sense because, like, you wouldn't think Joan would have much of a sense of being, like, a Navarrese person because she's mm, been yeah. raised her entire life in the north of France. Yeah. But she she considers herself more of a Champagne person or a, yeah. or a Paris person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, for once, Joan doesn't have a powerful mother-in-law figure to contest mm, with. That helps. Philip IV's mother is dead. She fell off a horse after the after the oh. Eighth Crusade and was one of the eight coffins. Oh yeah, um, yeah. She was pregnant too, wasn't she? She was pregnant too. She went into premature labor mm. and she died. Yes. Yeah. And Philip the Fourth does have a stepmother, uh, Mary of Brabant, but as as you can imagine, they weren't super close. Mm. Um, especially since Mary of Brabant at one point was accused of killing Philip's brother. Um, so Mary of Brabant is sent off to retirement. Uh, away from court, uh, mm. which deprives her of political influence. Although she seems pretty happy with this. <laughs> She's yeah. like, I'm sick of all of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Joan does have a grandmother-in-law, though. Uh, Margaret of Provence is still kicking around. In yeah. uh, she, uh, she dies in 1295. Damn. But she mostly does monastic work. So she, uh. again, is is retired off, mm. off to the nunnery with you, grandmother. Mm. No other women at the court. So Joan, despite this lack of female rivals, isn't very dominating when it comes mm. to French internal politics. She, she pretty much just sees herself as a support figure, um, oh. which is very typical queen vibes. Mm. Um, mm. We just happen to have had a, a long line of, of troublesome Strong queens one. recently. <laughs> now we've got a calm one. Yeah. Although for the most part, they were all... Forgiven for the fact that they had lots of babies. Um, mm, that yes. helps. That, that does help. I mean, but I guess she has a strong personality, but she gives a lot of babies, so it's fine. Yeah. So, despite uh, performing the role of the obedient wife at court, Joan, as I have implied, was not a pushover and was ready to defend her lands with the sword uh, when yes. the need arose. 
And it did in 1297, when a neighbouring lord to the east, the English-allied Count Henry of Bar, uh, mm-hmm. tried to invade Champagne from the east, uh, so from towards Germany. Um, and in reaction, Joan raised an army. They met Ooh. at the Battle of Comines, uh, which I frustratingly couldn't find any details on, but... Oh. Basically, Joan wins, um, and the Count of Blois, the Count of Bar, sorry, the Count of Bar, is imprisoned by Joan's forces mm-hmm. and sent off to Philip to face justice. And uh, after being brought before Philip to sign a humiliating treaty, the mm-hmm. Count of Bar took crusading vows and went off to help defend Cyprus from the Mamluks. Mm. Um, by the way, the Crusader states, not doing so hot right now. Yeah, um, can't imagine them at, doing well. At this point in the 1290s, uh, Jerusalem has been taken. Uh, not not Jerusalem, a- Acre has been taken, um, which brings an end to the Kingdom of Jerusalem. Um, mm. Although there will still be several people who will be claiming to be King of Jerusalem, <laughs> but they will live comfortably in France. Huh. <laughs> so... Yeah, Joan became known throughout France, uh, despite this brief episode, uh, as a gentle and benevolent queen. And she seems to have been widely loved even mm. by the Navarrese, uh, despite their neglect. Mm. The Navarrese were all, always careful to refer to her as the Queen of Navarre and Aww. not mention King Philip. To <laughs> um, so, like, let's pretend she's not Queen of France. Yeah, exactly. They always refer to her as Joan, Queen of Navarre, and that's all. Um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, so, but even Joan has her enemies, even sweet little Joan has her enemies. Uh, she had dealt with an external enemy in the Count of Bar, of course, but she also has enemies closer to home. Oh no, internal. Hiding behind curtains. Um, and this is where we meet the final boss villain of our episode, whose name is Guichard. So allow me to introduce you to Guichard, uh, who is a fun, fun, fun person to talk about. So he was the Bishop of Troyes, which oh. is one of the major bishop- bishoprics in Champagne. He probably originated from the lower nobility of the region. As a young man, he won f- the favour of Joan's mother, Blanche of Artois, and mm. rose very quickly through the clerical ranks, as mm. one does when they befriend a countess slash queen. Mm-hmm. Guichard becomes an abbot around the age of 30 and then a bishop in his 40s, which is fairly standard if you're like a pri- of privileged noble birth, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. And along the way, Guichard became very close to the royal household and may even have been a godfather to one of Joan's sons, the third son, Charles. Mm-hmm. So he's in the, the orbit, the inner circle, sort of. Mm-hmm. But behind closed doors, uh, mm-hmm. Guichard was anything but a godly man. He became notorious for his corruption, uh, embezzling, mm-hmm. and oh. even witchcraft. Oh, oh, oh. Um, although, just bear in mind, when I talk about the witchcraft stuff, a lot of it is trumped up charges. Um, mm. But we're going to get into all of it anyway, because it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Because witchcraft is fun. Yes. So Guichard uh, supposedly was fathered by an incubus. <laughs> a demon who seduced his mother, basically. <sighs> um, oh my god. Then after rising to become the most powerful bishop in Champagne, with a reputation as a financial genius, Guichard used his position to launder money from the treasury of first Joan's mother and then Joan. Oh. Um, reportedly... 
Guichard also kept a nun as a concubine, um, which was actually fairly common for senior clerics in this period. Hence why people like the Cathars were mad. And the the church's control is is huge at this time. So like Mm. bishops can pretty much get away with anything. Yeah. But yeah, Guichard has a has a spectacular uh fall from grace. Yes. Um uh but unfortunately for us, his downfall is linked with the demise of his patroness, Queen Joan. Oh. So around the turn of the century, uh around thirteen hundred, we reached thirteen hundred, way a faction arose among the government officials of Champagne to not just oust the bishop from royal favour, but to completely obliterate his memory. Damn. This is, of course, the smear campaign that results in the witchcraft charges. Yeah. We aren't exactly sure how or when, but at some point, this group brought Guichard's embezzlement to the attention of Queen Joan, who assumed uh, full control over Champagne after her mother's death in 1302. Nice. Um, in fact, uh, Guichard's opponents even spread rumours that Guichard had poisoned Blanche of Artois. Uh, who had been a healthy woman in her early 50s when she died. Um, mm. So, in one of the bolder moments of her life, Joan then publicly denounced Guichard in front of the whole yes. court. Yes! Um, and, uh, so, like, before the nobles in Champagne and before the royal court as well, uh, she okay. took Guichard's betrayal as a huge insult, not just to her as Good. the queen, but to the memory of her recently departed mother. Um, Good. And Guichard did manage to maintain his bishopric because mm. rich people get away with everything. Um, sure. But yeah, he was essentially he was essentially cancelled. <laughs> um, <laughs> he was no longer welcome at either the royal court or as part of the queen's inner circle. In addition, uh-huh. the queen demanded a huge fine from Guichard, yes. who struggled to pay her off. Uh, uh, of course, because um, his in- his income was hit. Uh, Mm-hmm. badly by no longer having a role at court. Um, no longer, no longer being able to that income, No longer being able to embezzle as well. So furious at his treatment uh, and becoming financially desperate, Guichard then allegedly embarked on a path towards revenge against Ooh. Queen Joan. And according to later testimony, he turned to the dark arts mm. to find a solution to his little problem. So I will take you now deep into the countryside of Champagne. I can just imagine him in like a cave. Actually, it might be a cave. A hermitage, which can be a cave. I think it was more of a a hut situation, like a cottage in the woods. Uh, Think like like Goldilocks. Three little bears, but probably less nice. Um, (laughs) All the porridge is cold. Um, (laughs) So let me introduce you to a hermit named Renio de Longre. Um, who began to receive visits from the bishop uh, and a couple Ooh. of his friends. A Dominican Ooh. friar named Jean de Fay and a wise woman, in inverted commas, uh, named Margaron de, Belvill- de Belvillette. Okay. And it is uncertain whether Regnaud knew this from the start or learned it over time, but at a certain point he realised that the bishop and his two shadowy advisors were using the hermitage as a remote location to conduct satanic rituals. Ooh. And Renio was forbidden by his bishop uh, on pain of death to tell anyone. But obviously, he eventually did. <laughs> Hence mm-hmm. why we know the story. 
so these rituals were intended to cast harmful spells on certain members of the royal family, oh, no. most importantly, Queen Joan. No! One of these spells involved creating a wax figurine of a woman, then performing a kind of baptism on the figurine, um, and giving it the name Joan. And this is how the bishop made essentially a voodoo doll of Queen Joan. Um, So after fusing the queen's identity to the doll through the baptism with oil and water, uh, Guichard and his accomplices pierced the doll with a pin uh, and placed it near the fireplace in the hermitage so it began to melt. Um, Yes. Meanwhile, at the royal palace of Vincennes, just outside Paris, Queen Joan begins to weaken and become deathly ill of a mysterious illness. No! According to some sources, she was pregnant at the time um, and may have died due to complications to childbirth, giving birth to, like, a stillborn child or something. Either way, resulted in no baby and no queen (laughs) by the end of it. That's sad. She died somewhere between the 31st of March and the 2nd of April, 1305, at the age of only 32. Oh, so young. And that's it for Joan. Three years later, the hermit Regnaud comes out with his scandalous story. He flees to the Archbishop of Sens and uh, tells him everything that had happened in the hermitage, Mm. supposedly. It uh, was very convenient that the Archbishop of Sens had a a lot to gain from (laughs) From Guichard's mm. downfall. <laughs> yeah. So this news went immediately to King Philip IV, who then had the Bishop of Troyes arrested for treason and witchcraft. Um, mm. Obviously, the charges are a bit difficult to believe. It was also difficult to Philip IV to pass judgment on one of the realm's most senior clerics. Mm. As we've seen, even for, like, embezzlement, he was basically let off, let off with a slap on the wrist and, like, yeah. put into a naughty corner. Like... He wasn't, de- he wasn't like, deprived of m- much of his power. Yeah. Also, Philip is mindful that if he just kills this priest, it might be a Thomas Beckett situation. He mm. might be creating a martyr. So he has mm. to proceed carefully. Yeah. Negotiations happen. Guichard is imprisoned in Sons uh, at the Archbishop's Palace for uh, several years. Actually mm. treated quite well. Because um, mm. he is a bishop at the end of the day. Um, before being transferred to... Avignon uh, into the custody of Pope Clement the Fifth. By the way, the Pope is living in Mm. Avignon at this point for reasons that we're going to get heavily into next episode. But yeah, basically, Philip chucks him over to Clement and he's like, your problem now. Not dealing with him. You deal with it. So most contemporary writers agree that Guichard was innocent of all of the supernatural charges brought against him, oh. which is it, which is interesting for the Middle Ages. You'd think they'd all have been like, oh, fire and brimstone, Woo! but no. no Can, so most people fun. at the time were like, this is Meh. a bit rich. Um, Philip was the main driving force uh, of this literal witch hunt. But the, the broad spectrum of people seem to not have given it much credibility. But Philip IV, even if he didn't believe Guichard had killed his wife with witchcraft, just wanted him out of his realm. Yeah. Um, just just because, like... He's corrupt. He'd, he'd, he'd caused damage. He was corrupt. Yeah, he's, he's, just, he's just a bad egg. We don't bad want him seed. here. Bad <laughs> seed. Yeah. yeah, so basically, Clement, you deal with him. So once Guichard reached Avignon, Pope Clement had him transferred from the bishopric of Troyes uh, to a post in the remote land of Bosnia. Um, <laughs> 
Though it seems like Guichard stayed at the papal court and uh, he was pretty old by this point and never really mm-hmm. made it to Eastern Europe. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, there is evidence that Guichard outlived Philip IV and ended mm-hmm. up re- returning to Champagne to mm-hmm. live peacefully until his death. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. As much as he's not a witch, he's also Basically horrible. <laughs> he's, he's, he's still horrible, yeah. Um. So, meanwhile, back in Paris, back to... Dad always live long. (sighs) Yeah. Back to Queen Joan's death. Uh, Philip IV had Joan buried in the Franciscan convent of the Cordeliers, just outside the city, um, Mm -hmm. not in Saint-Denis, because Mm. Joan's mother, Blanche of Artois, had been buried there two years before. Oh, so she could be next to her mum. Joan wanted to be next to her mum. Yeah, they were very close. Yeah. Also, in keeping with her reputation as a generous queen, Joan's will bequeathed money and property to 90 named individuals. Damn. This girl was popular. <laughs> she knew 90 people. I don't know 90 people. <laughs> yeah, I don't know 90 people. Well, 90 people I'd leave money to. Exactly, yeah. So among these individuals was Joan's firstborn son, Louis, who succeeded mm-hmm. her in Navarre as King Louis I. And... Mm will later become King Louis X of France, Ooh. uniting the kingdoms. Ooh. So for the remaining nine years of his life, King Philip IV of France remained a widower. Oh. Which I think is a new record for longest widowhood yeah. for a king. Yeah. Um, oh, it showed he loved her. Yeah, exactly. So Philip IV is our first king ever to not take a second wife immediately after the death of the first. Oh. Um, which I think has to be a credit to Joan as a wife. Yeah. She was, she was irreplaceable. Yeah. And it was all he ever knew, really. Like, Yeah, exactly. He grew up with her, basically. Yeah. Like, you know, he knew her whole life and for her to suddenly be gone, he, he, she, no one could feel the void. Yeah. These nine years were also the most stressful and chaotic of Philip's reign. And I can't wait to Joan get into Because Joan wasn't them. around. It's all because Joan wasn't around. Yeah. Um, let's just say... There are a lot of shenanigans that happen with their children. Um, One of whom is Isabella of France, the quote-unquote she-wolf of France. Um, But we'll get to the children in Beyond Throne. Yeah, I really Um, want to know about Isabella. Yeah. Well, there's a Rex Factor episode about her because they did her as one of the queen consorts of England. But yeah, listeners will know what I refer to when I talk about the the, the later years of Philip IV's life, if you already know a bit of French history, but we'll get all, into all of those juicy details next episode. It's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, so we aren't rating Philip IV now, we're rating Joan of Navarre, and now that she's dead, let's get into more detail about her as mm-hmm. we delve into the categories. Yes. So, enchanté, um, I'm going to send you a few images. Enchanté. So we'll start with the episode image... Generic 19th century queenly image. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Got a crown, got the veil. I couldn't find, like, a nice 19th century painting of her. So this is, I believe, 18th century mm-hmm. uh, or early, yeah. maybe early 19th century. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't find a nice painting. Oh. I like her, her, dress, her outfit, though. I like the blue and the gold. Yeah. She's got blue and gold. She's got a lovely uh, wimple. Is what it's mm, called. Yeah, I know. I love that me. word, wimple. Wimple, and Such she's a got a bit of ermine, ermine trim just to show that she's fancy. Mm. Yeah, um, and a crown. Yeah, 
So we've also got a seal, um, a seal of office from Joan, mm. which she would use to stamp her documents. And it's got a, a depiction of Joan uh, with oh, yeah. the with the coat of arms of France on one side and Navarre on the other. Oh, yeah. Is she like in a church or something? Yeah, she's got a church either behind her or like she's in it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's a sort of like sideways eye shape. Bean pod. (laughs) Bean pod. Yeah, it's a bean pod shape. And we also have a really nice statue of of Joan. Oh, yay. Which is in, where is this statue? She holding the church. She's so strong. (laughs) Yeah, so this statue is, I annoyingly didn't write it down. I'm going to look it up real quick because I... It is the it's the image that comes up on her Wikipedia page. This statue, oh, I like it's, it. It's a good, it's, it's a, a good nice statue. statue. It's a good statue. Um, no, not that Joan of Navarre. <laughs> <laughs> Looking up for Wikipedia. Um, yes. So yeah, this is a limestone uh, picture from about 1305, so just after she died. Oh. And it's in the Boda Museum in Berlin, Germany. Um, mm. has a lot of medieval stuff. Um, <laughs> we've also got a little, a little funeral depiction of Joan. Oh. Her sort of beer being, uh, prayed over and mourned. Yeah. She's sort of lying, she's doing her lying in state. Um, as we very recently saw the Queen of England do. Um. She's like in a little cocoon. She looks very snug. Do we got a picture of her gravesite? Was that destroyed? Um, I don't know. I wasn't able to find it. No. I don't, we don't have an, I don't know if we have an effigy or anything. We might, mm. but I, I didn't find it. Uh, so Joan, unfortunately, uh, doesn't feature too prominently in the histories of either France or Navarre. Uh, mm. she doesn't quite have that iconic image that we'd want her to have. Uh, she mm-hmm. is of course, completely absent from her home kingdom, and she is not the most active and involved Queen of France that we've ever seen. Um, Mm -hmm. She does have a recent on-screen appearance uh, in the 2019 History Channel show Nightfall, which, if you know anything about the History Channel nowadays, um, Mm -hmm. it's not the most reliable (laughs) of channels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I don't think this series looks very good. It's about the the Knights Templar, um, and it's got Mark Hamill in it, but I think that's where the good things end uh, about it. So, so Joan is played by Olivia Ross. And I do have one outfit she wears uh, where she's sort of wearing the fleur-de-lis crossed with the arms of Navarre, which is a cool outfit and kind of the sort of thing that you see medieval women wear in paintings and mm. stuff. Um, but this is, the, oh, this is yeah. the picture of it. Oh, yeah. Damn, I like that. I like it. Oh, and it's like half and half. Oh, you got it, the, the um, Navarre. Yeah. It's yeah. got the Fleurly on one side and Navarre on the other. Uh, yeah, nice. Mm. So that's that's a depiction, I guess, you could say, from a yeah. very recent time. But of course she's a she's completely not from what I've read, she's not the, the Joan of Navarre from history. Like she has an affair and like yeah. all this scandalous stuff that did not happen and didn't need to happen. Yeah. Um so yeah. I didn't need it. So that is Enchante. What do we want to give her? I wish I could give her like heaps, but obviously can't because there's this. It's a good statue. Enough. It's but one yeah, of I the. Like it's one statue. of the nicest statues, and it's contemporary. It's directly contemporary. Yeah, true, 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 true. Just after she died. It's more in her likeness. 
I can't give it too high though, just because n- when people think Joan Navarre, they don't think of her. They think of a different one. So exactly, yeah, she's kind of outshone. Also, Joan the Second of Navarre and Joan the Third of Navarre are also more famous than her. Yeah. Mm. I feel like I have to give it like a middling score. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking? For this period, it's not amazing. Yeah. Now that we're getting into like loads of images. So yeah, four or three for me. Yeah. I think I'd go 3.5, a little higher. Yeah, I think so too. Let's do 3.5. I wish I could give her more, but you know. Well, she's doing better than the Merovingians. (laughs) So so that is a seven for Enchante. Moving on to On Guard. On Guard. So On Guard, where we talk about... The fighty stuff. Uh, we know very little of Joan's political opinions, yeah. though it can be inferred that she was very conservative. And like many of her class, she held up Louis IX, the Holy King, as the yeah. ideal model for rulership. In fact, she may have helped persuade her husband to pursue the canonization of Louis into Saint Louis. Oh. Joan probably was behind the biography of Louis IX that was written by the retired crusader Jean de Joinville, which we read oh. quite a bit of in Louis IX's episode. Joinville was the guy who went on crusade, on the seventh mm. crusade, along with Louis, and like wrote, all the, wrote lots of lovely details uh, yeah. about Egypt and stuff. Yeah. So Joinville had served Joan's grandfather, another Tybalt, um, mm. as a young squire, and by this point in history, he's a very old man. He's like an old veteran of the crusade. Yeah. Um, oh, he's he, alive. He was, yeah, he's still he's still alive. Um, still I think around. he outlives Joan herself. Yeah. Oh wow. And he was the queen's uh, seneschal in Champagne, so he basically he helped manage her household mm. um, oh. as an old man. So there's a suggestion in Joanville's text that he may have been egged on by Joan to subtly nudge King Philip to act in a more holy manner. Uh, mm-hmm. Because as you'll see next episode, uh, there are some ooh-la-las where he is not the most saintly of kings in contrast mm-hmm. to his grandfather, who Joan, who Joan is like, remember him? <laughs> remember this guy? He's a saint now. Maybe you should take a few Follow notes. Him. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see how we think about that because Louis mm-hmm. IX, guillotine, Philip IV, TBD. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see, see how much, we'll see if Joan's right. Um, So while Joan lived through a lot of the tumultuous events that we're going to get into next episode, she seems to have had very little influence on them. Mm. And the main example of this is the stuff with the Pope. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So Joan's, yeah, just, Joan's just not involved, which is a bit sad, but also Mm. means we can save all that stuff for next episode. True, true. So Philip IV's modern biographer, Joseph Strayer, points out an example of Philip's constant overruling and overriding of Joan through their oppositional views on the Inquisition in southern France, which is Mm. still going on after Mm. the Albigensian Crusade destroyed the Cathars. Um, They're still, they've gone underground, but they're still being sort of rooted out by the Inquisition. Uh. And this is having a negative effect on the local culture, their autonomy, and also yeah. the nobility are getting really fed up with yeah. everyone the constantly Inquisition. being accused of heresy. Yeah. You would. But the the Occitan people, the people of southern France, saw Joan as the sort of angel on Philip's shoulder who would Aww. sort of be, help him be more merciful. And to encourage her to do this, they gave her 
lots of presents. But Philip, seeing that his wife was courting some opposition to his policy on Mm -hmm. inquisitions, he uh, ordered her to return the gifts and uh, basically toe the party line, uh, which she obediently did. Um, Yeah. So yeah, we see little points here and there where Joan is, is, goes slightly outside of her boundaries, uh, that she's allowed to. And then Philip the Fourth Gives her tap on the nose's finger. It's like, no. Yeah, it's like, no, no, no. No. Get back the presents. They Those are not yours to keep. So that's on guard. That's about all I have. We also have the battle uh, that she wins. Obviously not on the front lines, but mm. she's the one who raises the army to do the battle. Mm. You can't raise an army unless you are some degree of inspiring. In charge. Or in charge, yeah. She makes a number of really important decisions that do make things better for champagne like kicking out guichard in a very uh dramatic and stunning way in front of everyone i just imagine everyone at the court and guichard's there and she's like yep and um despite her territories being sort of absorbed by france she keeps her territories together um and she defends them so yes that's on guard I think the main, I think it's like, you have to weigh up. The main positive is her stuff in Champagne. Mm. The main negative is her Uh stuff with Philip controlling her in France. Um, Also Navarre as well. We haven't mentioned Navarre, but yeah, she basically (laughs) kind of ignores it. She's the queen of Navarre too. She's the queen of Navarre and she kind of ignores it. Yeah. Which is, I don't think, is very good for on guard yeah definitely wouldn't call her a great queen and the people of navarre really seem to like they're like we love you and she's like bugger off yeah i would describe her as an excellent countess of champagne middling queen of france and bad queen of navarre yeah yeah so like in champagne she'd be like seven in france she'd be like five five and then navarre she'd be like like one two one zero yeah (laughs) And even though the people in Navarre, they're just like, we want you. She's like, yeah. go away. They're hearing about all this good stuff she's doing up in France. She's like, well. Like, why are you doing last? it down here? You're our queen. Yeah. She does found a, uh, a we'll get into this. Oh, really college. Too, she, she founds yeah. a college uh, called the College of yeah. Navarre um, in oh, Paris, which is, it's part of the university. Um, but that is her oh. taking people out of Navarre and bringing them to Paris. Yeah, that's uh, not that great. Yeah, but it is at least supporting education of Navarrese people. True, true. I guess that's... But the thing is, do they return to Navarre, though? Yeah, but that's... Yeah, and that's not on guard. That's that's Volivu. We'll get into that next round. True, true. What are we going to give her? Can't be high. No. A one or a two? A one for champagne? Yeah, I'd give her a couple points for champagne. Okay, maybe two. I'll go for two. I'm going to give her three, but all of them are for champagne. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else kind of pushes it back no. down. So that is a five for On Guard. Um, nice. So moving on to Voulez-vous. Voulez-vous? Of course, she was a patron of educational institutions. The College of Navarre in Paris uh, was founded in 1304, the year before her death. <laughs> so she she got that in at the last minute. Um, yep. And yeah, it was mostly for Basque students and students from Champagne as well. Um, Hmm. And this set set a precedent for wealthy nobles and government officials to fund their own educational colleges in Paris, 
which helped to grow the city's educated elite, continued to build Paris's reputation as a global centre for both theology and science. Mm. So that's Ooh, good. She, like, started that. Yeah. So Joan genuinely uh, regard- was regarded as a warm and generous queen, as we've said. We've got the mm. 90 bequeathals at her will. Um, mm-hmm. Which definitely shows the way in which she lived was very magnanimous. Oh, can you imagine how many Facebook friends she would have? Oh my god, so many. In the thousands. Be like the one who'd accept everyone who like asked for a friend request. Mm. She'd feel bad otherwise, except for Guichard, which she'd be like, no, 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 no. Yeah, Guichard's blocked, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Guichard's got, getting, like, cropped out of the photos, like, the baptism yes. photo. <laughs> she's cropped yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, like, she's getting the scissors, scissors to, and then post the photo with it cut off. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's um, how extra. But, yeah, she's, yeah, she's got, like, thousands of friends on Facebook, and then she's scrolling through her newsfeed, like, I don't care what these people from high school did. Why? Yeah. Why am I here? Do, and then she quits Facebook, as we as we all should. Yeah. Um, so, so. But she lists down her ninety favorite followers. <laughs> yeah, Joan was essentially raised to become the perfect queen, um, because she was mm. queen from the start, and everyone knew that she'd be the queen of France as well. So she, she was raised mm. sort of, to be. Queen. I don't like to use the word groomed, but uh, she mm. was yeah expected to become queen her whole life. Educated. Yeah, educated accordingly. A funny, perhaps, coincidence is that, as we mentioned, things start to go downhill for France a bit immediately following her death. See? She was like the guardian angel. Yeah, the the turn of the 14th century when she dies is generally regarded to um, have coincided with what we call the mini ice age, for example. So France was literally a colder place. Uh, Mm. (laughs) So this was a period of global cooling lasting. Everywhere was colder place. Yeah, it lasted about until the 17th century on and off, uh, where Ooh. lower temperatures and increased rainfall led to a higher rate of famines, crop failures, and epidemics. Um, Sounds like now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, climate change, uh, although um, now is actually more, more is extreme. Is it apparently our, um, our ozone layer is getting a bit better? Like the hole's closing over. Oh, the hole over Australia. Yeah, that's Yeah, cool. it's getting a bit smaller. Yay! A small drop of good news in the in the ocean of bad news, um, yeah. but uh, yeah. So um, in the so where we are in the history, we're only twenty five years away from the Black Death. Just so yeah. So this combined with some political upheavals. Finally, we're are, getting to the plague. Yes. Are going to happen? It's going to be chaos. The next uh, the next century is going to be chaos. Uh, hey. Um, but, I love uh, the plague. Not everyone dying, but you know it's a very interesting time. The 14th century uh, is 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 going to be chaotic. Um, oh, I can't everyone... wait to use the word bubonic. Brace <sighs> yourselves, brace yourselves. So that's Voulevu. Basically, everything's pretty chill when Joan is alive. She's mm. good. She's good at her job. She's good at being she's, the queen. Yeah, she's stable. And she's she's good at being a countess. It's pretty stable. She's getting rid of bad eggs. She's bringing yes. in good eggs with the college. Yes. And she's just giving away lots of stuff without bankrupting herself. <laughs> Woo, that's very important too. And she ensures a stable succession. Her son, Louis, True. becomes King of Navarre after her. She's got a good little egg she is. So on a scale of one to ten, what would you give her for? I really love her, but I know I can't <laughs> give her too much. 
The college, she'll get a few points of the college. I'm pretty proud of that. I think this should be her best round. This is the round where she's shining. Like, come on, that is really good, the college. Come on, it sets a precedent for then lots of others and follow having colleges yeah. and raising education. Obviously not great for the common people as much, yeah. but... I'm just imagining Oprah in, in the interview with Lindsay Lohan going, yay, let's celebrate that. <laughs> <laughs> like, small victories, basically. Uh <laughs> Well, it's the start of something. It's not in great reform territory, so it's not yeah. like eight. It's not like ba-boom. Yeah. I see, I see eight as like great reform. I'd say this is like a middle. Yeah, slightly above the middle, maybe. Yeah, like a 5.5, 6. Okay. I was going to say six. I really want to go six. I want to go six. Go six. Go six. Go six. I love yeah, her. Let's go six. She just seems like such a little angel, like, oh, I want to be, f- oh, my grandma's ringing. I have to dec- oh. let me just say, <laughs> tell her, Nonny. Can I talk to you later? I'm recording my podcast. Oh, okay. I'll talk to you later. Okay, love you. Love you too. Okay, bye. bye. Sorry. Oh, hi, Nonny. <laughs> <laughs> I think your grandmother's gotten like quite a few matches on the podcast so far. <laughs> Probably. Her, As a listener. Mom. My whole family. She must, she must be happy about that. Um, I don't think she a, listens to it. She's a patron. So. I know. She doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't listen? She doesn't. Okay. None That's of my okay. family listens to this. I think Jed's mother listens probably more than any one yeah, of my Yeah, no, family. my family doesn't listen either. You, you need to have an interest in, in, in French history, not, not just us. Some of but... my co-workers, though, have listened to a few episodes. Which is one really of cool. my co-workers, the first of my new co-workers just started listening, which is very Ooh. nice. I have a few people that I've met on my travels have. That's good. Anyway, um, yes. James, if you're listening, thanks for listening. Um <laughs> Uh, that's, uh, a, what were we doing? So that's a 12, 12, (laughs) believe me. Um, moving on to On Guard. No, moving on to Ooh La La. I haven't done this in a while. Um. (laughs) Ooh La La. Uh, I don't have much. Uh, so. Joan was seen as a, as a pretty, uh, pretty conventional, uncontroversial queen. Yeah. And we can't even give her the witchcraft as well. Can't give her the witchcraft because she hadn't, because like a, a, probably it probably didn't, didn't happen. happen. But even if it did, it wasn't her. It wasn't her fault. Yeah, she was a victim of it. And if, if you're a victim yeah. of scandal, you know. It's it, not scandalous. It's just Yeah, it's tragic. a bit of a stretch to call it scandal, yeah. Like, oh. you'll get a couple points for getting assassinated, but that's about <laughs> it. And I wouldn't call this an assassination since it since witchcraft does not exist. Uh, <laughs> so cool we did. Sorry if that's a controversial statement. Yeah, sorry to the people who believe in witchcraft. I mean, witchcraft exists as a practice with, mm. like, the whole neo-pagan thing. But in terms of, you know... Voodoo dolls. Voodoo dolls. I don't think... Yeah. I, I, think, it's, I think it's not too controversial to say voodoo dolls are, are not real. Okay, you know when you talk about the wax figurine? All I was thinking was Avatar Last Airbender, Avatar Day, and the, 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 the unfried oh, right. <laughs> See, I was thinking of um, Scooby-Doo Zombie Island... Because that oh, exactly yeah, yeah. that happens to the Scooby Gang, and they're like throwing them around, and they're like getting thrown against walls and stuff. Oh, yeah, guys, watch Scooby Doo Zombie Island. It's a really good yeah. film. <laughs> but yeah, that um, one though, I was just thinking of like the fr- unfried dough man, and I was like, when yeah. it's like melt because it's like that's what I was thinking of. So that's 
so anyway, uh, zero for Ulala probably. Yeah, zero. There is like the one second where she's like, she tries to like contradict oh. her husband, but that wasn't scandalous. A, she never went to Navarre. Was that scandalous? As a queen to never go there? She Maybe. Uncont- it's a real stretch though. I know. Because it it's a bit, wasn't like, her fault really, but. If she really wanted to, if you want to give it, could have. Yeah, if you want if to she it, really it. wanted to go, though, she would have made it happen, I feel. Bear in mind she's pregnant constantly. True, true. <laughs> okay, can't give her that. No, it's not her fault she's pregnant. It's a zero, yeah. Yeah, it would have been more. It would have been scandalous to go to Navarre. Well, Peggy. With all the with all the upheaval that was happening, that would have led to some juiciness. Oh, but I no, swear, sadly. I know everyone I know is like pregnant or is about or just had a baby. It's like, ugh, people. It's, really, like, <laughs> it's really funny. All my like coworkers, like, oh, you're really good with kids. Why didn't you have your own babies? I'm like, yeah, I'm good with kids, like with babies, because I know I can give them back. <laughs> <laughs> with my own baby i could not give it back well at least joan kind of has that in that she has like like a horde of like nurses and stuff like yeah, that i wish yeah, i had like, that if i had a kid as long as they don't drop the kid off the off the castle wall that, <laughs> that was absolutely horrifying that was a bit horrifying um, in the worst way for a baby. Great way to start the episode. Anyway, so let's move on to Lovey on Stone. I forgot about Stone. that. Now you made me sad. <laughs> Eliza. I'm like imagining it. it Eliza visibly and audibly upset about the thought of a, a baby getting dropped off a, a, a banister. Oh, um, I can't stop. <laughs> I don't like thinking about that. It makes me really sad. Yep. Even though it's kind of bad now because the one thing is Michael Jackson and then when he was dangling. <laughs> That's what I thought as well. <laughs> I should have laughed. It's not funny, but it's really not funny. Oh. <laughs> okay, so. Um, where were we? Oh, La Vie on Throne. La Vie on Throne. So, Joan of Devon. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the baby still. <laughs> I'm just laughing from discomfort. Um, okay, so Joan of Navarre reigned from her father's death on the 22nd of July, 1274. Her death. Until her own death around the 1st of April, 1305. April Fool's. Um, April Fool's. <laughs> I'm not actually dead. But, it's too late. She, but it was too late. They, they'd already filled Bear the grave. Buried alive. Just buried alive. It was all a joke. It just went Ooh. horribly wrong. Yeah. And then after that, that's when they decided to put the bells in. Yeah. Anyway, so 1274 to 1305. It's 30 years, 8 months, and 10 days. Impressive for a woman nice. who only lived to the age of 32. Um, nice. Yeah. So that's 5.7 points for the reign. Then we get to go over her and Philip IV's children now. Uh, so Ooh. we won't be doing this How in as much detail next episode. We'll kind of, we'll mention them as they come up next episode because they start having yeah. a role after Joan's death as they become adults. But here is our introduction to the children. Yes. So okay. she's got Margaret, uh, who was mm-hmm. uh, the first child, betrothed yeah. to a Spanish prince, but dies at the age of eight. Mm. Um, yes. But then a later daughter is betrothed to the same Spanish prince. Oh. Uh, but we'll get to that. So then the second child, we've got Louis, Louis I of Navarre, or Louis X of France. Um, he's also called Louis le Houtin, or 
basically basically means Louis the Annoying Little Brat. Uh, that is a <laughs> that is a rough translation. Um, so he becomes uh, yeah he's become king. But we'll get into him obviously in his own episode. Then we've got uh, the third child, Blanche, who was betrothed to the same Spanish prince as before, but she dies at the age of four, Aww. so can't count her. Yeah. Then we've got Philip, who is known as Philippe Le Long, or Philip the Tall, who is mm. made Count of Poitiers. Uh, mm-hmm. Then we've got Charles, known as Charles Le Bel, or Charles the Fair, taking after his father, Philip the Fair. Mm-hmm. He is made Count of La Marche. Mm-hmm. So that's fifth child. Then the sixth child, we've got Isabella, commonly known as Isabella the She-Wolf of France, mm. who was, incidentally, Philip IV's favourite. Uh, mm-hmm. she is the only daughter who survives to adulthood and she ends up marrying Edward II of England. They've, they've, they've given up on the Spanish prince. Um, <laughs> and, uh, like he cursed. But despite going to England, Isabella visits France quite a lot and gets very involved in French politics as well. Mm. So we'll be seeing a lot more of her. You'll be pleased to know. Mm. And then the seventh uh, and final child that we know about is Robert, who dies at the age of eight. Before his father, but after his mother. So that we can count him for Joan, but not for Philip. So Joan gets a little cheaty point there. So that's five children, which is 8.4 points. Not too shabby. Yes. So that's a total Beyond Throne score of 14.2. She wasn't as pregnant as much as I thought she would have been. No. But uh, Beyond Throne score is is her best score. 14.2. So, do we want to hear the final score? Yes. The grand finale. 38.2. Higher than her age. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah, 38.2. She's she's beaten Anne of Kiev by three points or two points. So that's at least something. But uh, compared to Eleanor of Aquitaine and Blanche of Castile. uh... (laughs) Not so grand. Not so grand. Uh, she's got just under half of, uh, I think, oh no, about half of Eleanor of Aquitaine's points, I think. Okay. Yeah. So now it's to decide where she'll sit. Um. Yes. This is a. This will be a tricky question. I feel as though she'd be like the middle. She's not quite box level. You VIP. think she's economy plus? See. Yeah. I like know. I love to give her like VIP, but I feel as though she needs a bit more pedaz. See, I think she might have to be the first woman in the nosebleed section. I don't think she's nosebleed. I think she's, like, middle. Okay, mm. who else is in the nosebleed? Uh, Bozo. And... <laughs> saying, she's not Bozo level! <laughs> no, she's not She's Bozo. better than Bozo! And she uh, does the... not deserve to be in the same okay, area well, as him. Okay, this would be slightly better. Hugh the Great is also in the nosebleed section. Um, he basically lost a, toy- a coin toss because you wanted to put him in Economy Plus and I wanted to put him in Nosebleed because right. he didn't live up to his nickname. Yeah, sure. Um, okay, but she's still better than Bozo. Well, everyone's better than Bozo. <laughs> but, I know, but I don't want to sit but, next to that scumbag. She got a lower score than Bozo. Yeah, but I want to sit next to her. She doesn't deserve that. <laughs> she deserves better! I love that the uh, the horrendous thing about the nosebleed section is no longer that it's the nosebleed section. It's now that it's where Bozo sits. <laughs> yes. Um, you deserve that vile treatment. Okay, well... Please, Economy Plus. Please. 
because we like her and economy plus is for people we like yes but didn't do good enough to be in the vip box fine she gets <gasps> economy plus. and she gets I, a complimentary I, bag of popcorn yes she gets a complimentary bag of, bag of popcorn um because that's the plus is the popcorn that is the that is the plus <laughs> yeah we never discussed what the plus means <laughs> it's the popcorn yeah so um but no drinks so she has to go thirsty unfortunately that segues that segues amazingly into um the fact that we have four new patrons in our economy plus tier on our patreon so you get to sit with her get to sit with joan get to sit with gaberga and you get to sit with who else is in who else is in there i think anna kiva's in there um all the women yeah uh, Robert the Strong is there as well. Oh, yeah. Yep, those are the people that are there. Um, and then VIP is like Blanche, Eleanor, Fredegund, Blanche. and Charles Martel. Still so the many only women. Boy. So many women. Yeah, I mean, we've, women in the nose we've, we've mostly done women in the half episode, so it makes sense True. to be a higher proportion. But it definitely, there's a... Um, <laughs> there's definitely a bias happening <laughs> where like... <laughs> VIP is mostly women and nosebleed is only men. <laughs> but economy plus, economy plus, nice and mixed. Nice and mixed crowd. Still mainly women. But a co-ed cohort nonetheless. So yeah, we need to welcome our patrons. So we've got yeah. Cody, Tyler, Tim, and Jonavan. Uh, those are the hello, hello. four new patrons. Bienvenue. And thank you as always to the holy trinity of VIP box patrons. These are yes. Adrian, Courtney, and Roberto Yes. Just got to thank them every time because they're just yeah. paying that little bit extra. Yeah. Um, Roberto's so sweet. He messaged me the other day being like, hey, I heard you were sick. Oh. Uh, I was like, oh. Because I blasted it on social media that you were sick. I know. <laughs> so I, know. I made everyone think you were like on death's door no, or something. I know. <laughs> and then it turns out he's sick as well. And I was like, and he has a sore throat. I'm like, oh. It is winter, yeah. Yeah, but I usually never get sick. It sucked. I got sick right at the end of my travels, so I spent the whole time lying in the hostel and going to the onsen, which was good, the onsen, but I couldn't be in it for very long to make <laughs> faint because I was uh, sick. Oh, right. Apparently, that, apparently boiling water is really good, or, like, hot water is really good for, like, your yeah. sinuses. So yeah, yeah, sick. yeah. That must have been I had good. to keep getting out to get water because yeah. it made me super dehydrated because I was sick. Anyway, speaking of immersing yourself into a delightful... Um, warm bath. <laughs> warm bath. Uh, immerse yourself into the delightful warm bath of content that we have on Patreon. <laughs> uh, warm where you can access of our voices. At, yes, where at the Economy Plus tier with Joan, you can access all the bonus episodes. We've got a couple fun ones coming up. We're going Ooh. to record one with Brie from Pontifax about yes. a very special saint that Eliza's not allowed to know about until we do the episode. Um, Yay. Because it's exciting. It's going to be a birthday present. You're going to love it. Just trust me. <laughs> just just trust me. Okay. I can't say anything else, but you're going to love it. And I don't have to do any research for that because Briggy is coming in with all the research because she already Ooh. did an episode on him for Pontifax. Oh no, you reveal the gender. Uh, that's all you're, no- you're, you're going to know. Damn, I thought you were going to do a woman since you said it was a birthday surprise. I think I've already said him, but but this is a him that you're going to enjoy. That's all I'll, that's all I'll say. Don't that's ask any scandalous. questions. Scandalous. Don't ask questions. Um, <laughs> so we're also, speaking of scandalous, we're also going to do a Patreon episode about Dante and what he thought of all the things. Yes. Got that planned. So yes. 
join up on the Patreon. We've got plenty of other stuff. If you liked the Verse and Gedricks episode, there's, uh, I think, an even better episode on Robert Kiskard. That's a pretty good one. Um, mm. And the Margaret the Black one is pretty good mm. too. Lots of scandaly stuff happens. Yes. Um, so yeah, also, if you're joining the Patreon, Patreon, we are wide open in terms of like other ideas for bonus yeah, content. Yeah, so give us suggestions. We're always down for that. I put a post on the Patreon, which is like suggestion box. So like just nice. throw your ideas there, basically. That's pretty much everything. We hope all of our listeners are having a lovely new year in yes. 2023. Yeah. Yes. I had a good month so far. Yeah. So that is going to be... Au revoir from me. And goodbye from me. Are we not doing the stay off horses one? Oh yeah, stay off horses. <laughs>